0: Harsha tells the story of Kwal Yisrael fearing that they had lost their leader. And in his stead, they create a golden calf. Read literally, this seems somewhat odd. They had a god, the Ribbon of whose glory they had seen at Harsinai, and they had a leader, Moshe Rabenu. When Moshe Rabenu disappeared, why would they have been seeking a new deity if the Rebona Sholem was still there? What they needed was a new leader. Ramban and his Tereshallah Torah, in fact, argues that this is exactly what they were trying to do and that they didn't regard the egel Hazav as a deity. As proof, he notes, that as soon as Moshe Rabbeinu returned, they abandoned the ego and allowed him to destroy it, which would have been almost inconceivable if they had regarded it as a god. So what then was so terrible about what they did? Their intent was, at least not initially, for Avodah Zarah. If there was nothing wrong with their impulse... Why is it regarded so badly? There is a famous question that many Rishonim ask about the seeming contradiction between the parasha of Melech in Sefer Dvarim and the story in the book of Shmuel where the Jewish nation asks for a king. And God gets angry at them. Why? Appointing a king would appear to be a mitzvah. Or at the very least, something the Torah permits. In his response to this question, the Klei Yoker suggests that when the Torah formulates the mitzvah in Parsha Shoftim, the language it uses is "som tosim alecha melech." The king was to rule over the people. He was to set the tone, determine the direction, and chart a course thereto. And the people's job was to follow. But in Shmuel's time, they said, melech They didn't want a leader, they wanted a puppet whose strings they could pull. In the Kleyakar's words, They didn't want to accept authority that his awe and fear should be upon them. They wanted it to be them, they wanted the king to be in their control to appoint and to disappoint. The end result would be that the king would have to be if them. He goes on to say, as the minag in his time, probably 16th, 17th century in Poland, they would appoint the rabbi only with a t- with a number of, a certain number of years. So his fear would be upon them. Their fear would be upon the rabbi. Therefore, he has to be with them so they don't fire him. Similarly, the Gemara Subos tells us Abaye observed that if you see a tzurva me who is well liked in his town. It's not Mishum de Tvei, because he's such a wonderful person, all his deeds are good, but rather because the Deshmaya, because he doesn't give them Musr. If you look around at our institution, as well as many other venerable Jewish institutions, you will see a plethora of programs focused on leadership training. But I have yet to see one on followership training. The story is told of the yeshiva crew team that was having no success at all. They decided to consult with one of the perennial greats, and so they invited the coach of the Harvard team to watch them in action. After observing, he turned to them and explained their poor performance. You have to understand, he said, on our team, we have eight men rowing and one man barking instructions. But on the yeshiva team, you have one man rowing and eight men barking instructions. Too many chiefs, and not enough Indians. Being a good and true leader is really hard. But being a good and true follower, as opposed to being a mindless sheep on the one hand, or a korat on the other, is also not easy. A leader's job is to lead properly, and a follower's job is to follow properly. Being a leader is hard because it requires courage, seichel, and humility. Courage at times to take a position that is unpopular, seichel to calibrate how hard one can push and when one must, one must yield, and humility to recognize one's fallibility. Being a follower is hard because it requires courage, seichel, and humility. Courage to sacrifice one's autonomy. Sechel to know when to speak up and not to follow like a lemming off a cliff, and humility to recognize one's fallibility. This evening, I don't want to talk about leading. I know that any number of you who are sitting here are future klei kodesh, and to one extent or another, my comments are not as relevant to you. There is a Chag Asmicha coming up, and I hope that whomever, whoever speaks to you at that time will admonish you sufficiently regarding the courage, seichel, and humility you will need to exhibit in leadership. I also know that many of you are likely to be lay leaders in some capacity at some point in your lifetime. but tonight I wish to address the majority of the listeners whose primary, primary role will be that of followers. In the interests of full disclosure, and in a preemptive response to any cynics, I have no personal stake in your followership, or in anyone's. I am not the rough of a shul, I'm not a mechanech in a day school. As being just a Rebbe in the yeshiva, I deliver a shir, but I am not a leader with power over followers who are expected to follow. If a Talmud wants to be in my shir, or in any other Rebbe's shir, he chooses to do so. If he doesn't like what I or somebody else has to say, or how we teach, he chooses another shir. You have a personal responsibility, that as you and your world change, that rav may change. You are transient in this institution, most of you, at least in terms of daily residence, and all connections that you choose to establish and continue are voluntary. There is no expectation of your being meshubah to me, And at the same time, you are not the Balabatan with the power to remove me from my position. I say this to make it clear that I am not a self-interested party in what I have to say this evening. I may have an influence and a voice, but I have no and seek no power of leadership over any of you. I wish to delineate three ways in which proper proper followership should be manifest. The first is in the way you behave. In the beginning of Sefer Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu describes to the Jewish people how the burden of leadership became too much for him to bear alone. Rashi, citing the Sefer, provides us with a map for followership in the spirit of, let this be a lesson to you, this is what you should not do. Tor hachem, Melamade tarchanim. They were incessantly stubborn, they couldn't accept the possibility of being wrong. Masa achem. Mela made api kursin. Hibdim Moshe Lotseis, if Moshe Rabbeinu came early, left his house early, Amru, Ma ra ben Amram Lotseis. Why did he leave his house early? Shema ene shafavitopbezo. So. Maybe he and Sipor are fighting. Icher Lotseis, if he came late, Omru, they said. Ma ra ben Amram Shalalotseis. Why did he come late? What do you think he must be doing? He's plotting against us. They looked to find fault with everything. They were cynical. Anything Moshe Rabbeinu did could and would be interpreted in a negative light. And finally, They were grumblers. It's very easy to dig in. It's very easy to find fault even when there is none, and it's very easy to fetch and complain. What's hard to do is to put one's ego aside, to try to be bidan l'kafsros, and to step up and help rather than helplessly carp. To the best of my knowledge, tarchanim apikorsim and Rodnim are not counted among the minyanim mitzvah saseh, in the Rambam Sefer. Reading this medrash, it seems that some things never change. But in fairness, I should also stress two other points in this context. Number one, these difficulties confront not only Klay Kodesh, but also lay leaders, many of whom dedicate so much of their time to serve the community. A wise person once observed to me that the difference between the rub of a shul and the president of the shul is that the rub gets paid to be abused by the congregants while the president does it for free. But at the same time, Tleik Kodesh have dedicated their lives and staked their livelihoods on serving the cloud, whereas the lay leader can just walk away and resume his or her own life. Number two, there are many, many wonderful followers who show respect to the Rabbanim, to mechanchim, who step up to assist, who do show their appreciation. Many, many. But it only takes a few bad apples to spoil the bunch, And make the lives of Clay Kodesh and professional lay leaders as well in absolute misery. Most of you, God willing, will belong to the former category. I implore the few of you who might potentially fall into the latter category to reconsider your membership. And for the majority of you who will not retain such membership, you should also consider stepping up and pushing back against those who do. And may Inyan, but also Inyan, and knowing me, I have to say this, some of you one day. Will probably become very successful financially. Some doing socially redeeming things, or maybe not. And just as in the case of Korach, whose wealth, according to the Gemara Chelech, led him to the path of personal destruction, your wealth may lead you to Harama Salev and cause you to think that because you know a lot in one discipline, it means that you are an expert in all sorts of arenas in which you are, in fact, not. And while it's true that you won't run into as dangerous of a supporter that Moshe Rabbeinu had who can make the earth swallow you up, the Avera is no lesser than that of Korach. Hakima
1: <laughs> I also wish to
0: be clear. No and menachanchim are perfect. The expectation that many have that they should be is absurd. And as I said earlier, plenty should, be spent, plenty should and needs to be said to aspiring in Klay Kodesh. It may be that Rubam Chachamim, Rubam Navonim, and Rubam Yodim Es but it's not Kula. But please remember that most, if not all, of them have chosen a career for idealistic reasons. Rest assured it's not because of the lucrative opportunities in the field, nor for the easy lifestyle, nor for the excessive cover that they will be shown in their positions. If we're being honest, in the world of Olam Hazer, it's one of which kavod, as in lo yei Raid, kvodo acharav, begets most of the real kavod. Please do your best not to be amongst the tarchanim, to not be amongst the apikorsim, to not be amongst the roguerim. Rashi and Parshish Ha'alosah tells us that when Moshe was complaining to the Ravon by dealing with the Jewish people, he mentioned that God had told them in Mitzrayim, from the words by al B'nai Israel in Parshah that he was accepting leadership al menashe on the condition that they will stone you and they will curse you. One should not mistakenly assume that this tzrai was incumbent upon the Jewish people to fulfill. Even if they hadn't, it would have been a case of tzrai batel or masakaya. Point number two the humanity of those who lead you. Beyond how you conduct yourself in followership, or how you shouldn't, please remember that they are human beings with families, with needs, with sensitivities, with their own personal struggles. I have seen and heard from too many people in service to the community, both in Rabatis and in of some of the unreasonable expectations they have to deal with. And I believe that the starting point is not recognizing their humanity. Some time back, there was a school that was pushing out its principal. Knowing a little bit about the situation, I couldn't, quite, I couldn't fathom why. I asked someone who knew some of the pushers out, and what I was told was so insubstantial, I still had no clue. But that didn't surprise me. I assumed that a few people with influence and very fragile egos had gotten upset about something, probably inconsequential. But what shocked me was something that happened in the process of replacing him. The people doing this, the committee, they understood that best practices are that you don't fire the principal until you've lined up his replacement there were some questions raised about the search committee's preferred candidate who would be uprooting their family from quite a distance away as to whether that person would be a good fit. Someone in position to be making the decisions of hiring stated that they didn't care if the candidate would make it beyond the initial contract of a few years as long as it was mean that they could get the old principal out. I was shocked when I heard this. It was hard enough to comprehend why they were pushing the current principal out but to be so cavalier about the new candidate who have been rather successful in their current position that you would utilize them just as a tool for getting rid of the old principle, even if it meant discarding them and their family in just a few years. I have heard from any number of community rabbis over the years about how they feel, as if many of their congregants don't appreciate them as human beings with their own families and needs. Many times we are dealing with rabbanim who are part-time, There are two chaos in relation to what it means to be a part-time rabbi in many communities. Definition number one is full-time job, part-time salary. And definition number two is whatever part of the time they need him. Sometimes communities have the resources and don't want to pay, but sometimes they don't. But either way, they should respect the fact that if you aren't providing for the rabbi and his family's financial needs, he will have to turn to other avenues for parnasa, which will draw from his time to support himself, and then you need to expect less. I heard a story many years ago from a rab about the importance of the pastoral work of Avelus in Yerabonus. When I teach Shochas Avelus, I always begin by warning the Talmidim that Avelus is the third world of your rabbinate. Mess it up and you will get electrocuted. This rab told the story, intended as a cautionary tale, that early in his rabbinate, he didn't attend the funeral of a parent of a congregant, at which he was not a fish And as a result, that congregant for years, for decades, never forgave him. I have always wondered about it. This was a rabbi who was part-time, on a very part-time salary, who had to teach full-time in the yeshiva day school. I imagine that to attend a funeral would have meant missing hours of teaching. Would it even have been the right thing to do? Was it a reasonable expectation? And was it fair that you should hold us against the rough? Finally, number three is be transactional, be relational, not transactional. Long before it became fashionable, Avram Avinu, the Aha Goyim, along with Saray Menu, were involved in the business of Kira Vachokim, starting with the Nefesh Asher Asu and continuing with the Eshel in Ber Shefa. Yitzchak Avinu, however, seems to have turned inward, seemingly showing little interest in proselytizing to the outside world, but it even looks like he didn't do that much with his children. His favorite child, Esau, well, we know how that ended. Yaakov presumably received the Mesorah from his father, but it is worth remembering that he also spent 14 years in the base of of to Yaakov, Avinu, clearly cultivated the Mesorah in his children, but he never went down the path of his grandparents to reach outwards. Why? Allow me to suggest, based upon the Targumim of Erech Yisrael, that recorded tradition on the Pasuk of Ayitah Eshel B'Vershava, that Avram Avinu would offer food and drink to wayfarers. And when they asked him afterwards to pay for the cost of the meal, what was the price? Instead, he told them to thank God who provides all the food and drink. And it was through this that he would convert them. He would bring them closer to God. What happened to these people? Why do we never hear about them again? I would suggest to you that it didn't last because the whole relationship for these people was transactional. First, it was a question of paying for services, and instead, they substituted some type of religious performance to pay for their dinner. Avram Avinu wanted to establish a relationship, but for them it was just a transaction. Yitzchak saw all his parents had invested and the meager yield that it had produced, and he had no interest in this enterprise. And when Yaakov Resumed his grandparents' activity, he was not interested in transactional relationships. See, for example, one. Instead, he decided that his efforts would be restricted to his children. There is no relationship in this world that is so inherently relational without an iota of transactional than what parents and healthy families give to their children. A Rav, a head of school, a Makhaneh, they all have many responsibilities to the Tzibor but they should not be viewed, as they too often are, as service providers. And if you're unhappy about the service, you are free to cavalierly discard them. A wise principal was once asked when he was hired as to how he would relate to older teachers who were not as effective anymore. The first thing he said was that it was his responsibility to offer assistance to those teachers to regain their effectiveness. He would only draw a line with someone who is not respect, receptive to constructive criticism and assistance. In other words, people who have dedicated their lives to serving the community are not commodities to be disposed of. Tleikodesh who wish to be effective need to build relationships, but the same thing holds true for their followers. If they want Rabbanim and the Nechanchem to be successful, they also need to be open to and make an effort to building relationships and to not see the Rav, and the Mechanech, transactionally, primarily as an employee. So to summarize, three points. One, learn how to behave. Don't be from the misloanity. Number two, please remember that leaders, Clay Kodesh or lay leaders, are human beings, with their own families and their own needs. And finally, number three, do not see your connection as transactional. Our society broadly and our community more narrowly face enormous economic challenges, which is probably the primary cause of the deeply troubling dearth of people entering and staying in the fields of Avodesa Kodesh. Not every institution may have the funds it needs to support its clay Kodesh in an ideal manner, but it doesn't cost anything to be a mensch. Treating people poorly or burning them out is not an effective recruitment tool for the profession. In one sense, the egel Hazav was the perfect leader for certain people. The egel didn't mind the grumblers or Nafi It wasn't human and had no family, and it was just fine being treated transactionally. As Ramban notes. when Moshe returned and ground up and roasted, that is, summarily and unceremoniously fired their Eagle Hazav, not a word of protest was uttered. In kong, v'ein oneh, v'ein koshev. But even better, the egel didn't criticize them. It didn't give them usur. It didn't complain. It was pliant and happy to be the center of attention. As I suggested earlier, this is part of a very long sicha that should be given to those who are entering Rabbanus Kinnah or leadership. Following is not an easy thing to do. I often like to identify as the source of many of our problems having assimilated Western values, but I believe that our nation's history, which started long before Athens, Rome, or the American Revolution, suggests otherwise. We have been an Amt for a long time. But while this is true, we have never been ensconced in a culture which so profoundly and explicitly worships the rights of the individual, autonomy, authenticity, you do you. And that simply gives solace to our lesser angels and our worst tendencies. It is often said that people get the leaders that they deserve. If we don't collectively learn to follow better and how to treat properly those who step forward and sacrifice to lead us, we don't treat them better, we will not have leaders in any meaningful sense of the word. Instead, we will be left with Elohecha Yisrael Asher with leaders Less like Moshe Rabbeinu, and more like the Agel Hazal. Thank you thanks so much.